Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Let Them Eat Cake. This episode, we speak to a member of NAFO and a personally passionate individual who has dedicated a significant portion of their life to studying and understanding the elements and intricacies of fascism. We discuss his 10 points of fascism, as well as a range of topics on the adjacents of fascism, and go over the modern forms of fascism. And this modern form takes a drastically and dangerously advanced position with the technology required to enforce their despotism. This is a very important discussion to have. As always, we are 5th Gen, an information warfare cooperative that aims to shed light on things those in power want to be kept in the dark. We want to give a voice to the voiceless and give the people the information they need to thrive in a world that tries so hard to starve you of it. I'm your host Jack, and my co-host is John. Please enjoy the show. We have a weapon more powerful than the British Empire, and that weapon is our refusal to bow to any order but our own, any institution but our own. My name is Cal, and uh, I'm uh, one of the fellows of NAFO, and I've been uh, on Twitter for some time now, and in a sense, feel like I'm getting ready for this moment, uh, because for the past 20-something years, I've been on my own time, so not professionally, but studying as much as possible the subject of fascism, understanding the history of it and the way it works. So what do you think about current information warfare and how easy it is to weaponize fascism online? And we also have this future of AI coming in where it's going to be really hard to discern truth from fiction. That basically gets right into the very first point of what fascism is. Uh, The first tactic of it is the mythic past. It's a myth. Everything about it is a myth. So you have to start believing myths. And that's what uh, the AI can be doing to us is making us believe things. Now, I think to, to be specific about AI, the unique threat of it is that that's not a person on the other end of it, right? So this is code. This is just emptiness. There's no one there. So the myth is being created in a sense for us by code. And so we have to be very cautious of who's on the other end. Is there someone on the other end? And so that we can avoid these myths, especially the myth of the uh, greatness of past. So make America great again, the great part of that, and the again part of that, the emphasis of making it great again. That's fascist, you know, and it's a myth. And it goes back to what, 1950s for some, 1850s for others. And it's, uh, it's about an economic and social moment in history that didn't happen for the reasons they think it happened. I just wanted to say that it is, um, it is ancient, but it's like the, the modern idea um, of fascism. It's just like the modern idea of state terror came from France. So it's like it's you you can look at the influence and you can do the same thing with communism. It's very interesting if you look at the like early because you also see communism come out of the Great Terror and it's a long time after. So but it's these ideas have always been around. And I think specifically when Mussolini came, what happened is that like Austria-Hungary had just collapsed, like Napoleon was defeated. You know, so there was this, the era of empires was literally just like 10 years ago. The Ottomans used to exist 10 years ago and they they were dust now. 
Right. And so this is, this has something to do with the American version of it, that um, it's 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 the boomers. Right. In a sense, it's their childhood, you know, and it's the world that the Gen Xers are born into. It's the silent generation and the greatest generation, kind of the world that they created as young adults. Like so that kind of the older people of America wanting to make America great again, what they're remembering and what I want to kind of stress is that the 1950s and 60s were great, not because we were American or liberal or democratic or capitalist, but because we were literally the only people left with a standing economy after World War II. That's just it. That's what made us. And then second thing that made it great for white Americans specifically was because it was coming from other people, their wealth, the people who were cut out of the New Deal, agricultural workers, domestic servants. All that money came from somewhere. And so that's one of the problems, of course, with social democracy is the money has to come from somewhere. Nowadays, it comes from the third world countries. But the thing is, is that this unique moment in time that they want to make it again, it would be a bad thing to do it anyway. Also, you can't because we're not in a post-World War II economy. When we look at information patterns, we can see like clear signs of like when it's Russian fascism and things like that. But what's very interesting is that the same type of fascism that they use in like Europe and Russia is really successful with in Europe just doesn't work on Americans because we have such an old school racism from like before fascism with uh, like there, there's a deeper, deeper like segregation by design, you know? And so the thing is, is that the average racist in America just wants to be separated from society. And it's like, they if, if you're a racist and you want to segregate yourself from society, go ahead. And that, that pretty much leads to the second tactic of fascism that I've got written down, the friend-enemy-based propaganda, the propaganda being the technique. Now, we all are humans. We can all fall to friend-enemy distinctions. But to have propaganda, specifically, I'm using like the narrow de definition of it. That is where the um, the content is different than the message, right? And so friend enemy distinction based propaganda, basically there's a reason why people call Tucker Carlson's show the white power hour, you know, and it's it's every time they say, you know, cultural Marxists, like, really, are we still using that? Right? Every time they say globalist, right? Every time they say like all of these dog whistle, dog whistle politics that go back to the 80s, at least. In the meantime, to transition, um, everyone knows and memes about the picture of the death of Mussolini, right? Everyone yeah. knows that one. That there's a way, way better picture than what they do afterwards. Like, there's a picture of his actual death, like, when they killed him. Because what happened is they ambushed him and they kicked in doors with machine guns and just cut, this, cut all the fascists down, right? So these are actual pictures of his corpse right after being shot in the head, right? Look at him holding his little fascist scepter. Died on the woman he was, or I don't think they were married. I think they were like just like entrenched, you know? So it was like that type of relationship. But anyway, you can see the bullet hole in his head in one of these. And then um, the thing is, is like when you see him when he's hung up, 
see his face is pretty held together here when they hang him up his face is a cheeseburger because you know they beat the shit out of this guy's corpse look at this look at this picture right here did that come up hang on share this tab instead look at that shit look at his fucking head dude this <laughs> looks like looks like somebody rebuilt his head with paper mache it's fucking wild he really loved that stuff didn't he Hmm. I just think it's so symbolic that he died with it in his hands. No, I would agree, and I would say that's always the tyrants. So where did we Something leave like off that. on your list? At number three. <clears throat> and we kind of uh, hit some of the points because the characteristics and the tactics are kind of overlap a little bit, but I think there's difference enough to, to go through it. Uh, the number three is, is anti-intellectualism. And keep in mind, these are tactics, right? Um, and so in America, what we have um, is basically people who think that they know better than teachers how to teach. They, we have people who think we know better than scientists, what science is, better than doctors, what medicine is. Um, it kind of is endemic to our society. And it's not limited to any one political question. party. Should homeschooling be banned? Do what? Hot question. Should homeschooling be banned? Okay, I can definitely talk about this as a homeschooled kid. Um, it depends. Okay, it needs to be proven to be, you know, efficacy. So I did five grades public, right? I got five grades public schooling, fine. Then I was homeschooled for two years, but actually neglected bad family circumstance. I just was in the library reading all the damn time. So two years later, I still have a fifth grade math education when I should be in the seventh, but I have a college level reading experience. So like, that's what homeschooling was for me for two years was me just literally sitting in the library doing what I wanted, which was read books. That's not healthy, actually. I had to catch up on that, right? So then I go to a homeschooling co-op kind of situation where there's like 30, 40 kids K through 12. So it'll be three or four kids my age, my grade, you know, and it's a mixed environment. That wasn't so bad, actually. I got caught up. I got a decent education. Yeah, I was younger creationism, but that's not a home. That's well, that's part of homeschooling. They do it so they can teach younger creationism. They do it so they can deny evolution. So that's in the mix. So people homeschooling need to prove that they are actually schooling their children so that we can avoid situations like I was in. I don't like it because of child abuse reasons. And that's what scares yeah. me about these don't say gay bills about regulating teachers. Like there's nobody else, there's no other adults that kids can come out to in their life than their fucking teacher, you know? Yes. Like you can, yeah, and that's the it. thing. That's the thing is, is that with uh, homeschool environments, there's no way for a lot of these kids to get help in a lot of these situations that happen. and. It's and let's be honest, it's going to be way out in the rural areas where people aren't going to, you know, come out to like investigate anyway. Yeah, and I was I was exactly one of those kids in my situation. It was a matter of neglect, but sometimes it got a little physical, um, and there was no one for me to talk to because I was afraid of the neighbors, and the neighbors are afraid of us. And there was no school, there was no teacher, there was no coach. You know, the reason actually in a sense that we were, was because when I was in school, I did have a teacher I could talk to, you know? And a principal who intervened when I kicked the ass of another kid who tried to choke me out, and, they, and he wanted to know, where did you learn how to do that? And I said, I have an older brother. 
And they're like, no, 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 that's not normal, you know? Um, so then we had to explain that, no, we actually have a very violent household. And then all of a sudden, shoot, we're in another state getting homeschooled. So I know exactly what you're talking about because I lived it. Beck, hot take? I would say... Uh, oh, no. Um, I... I think community schooling, homeschooling, is not a terrible idea. Like, it, it's it's also not a terrible idea for people who work. Um, like, setting up a, you know, hiring someone to teach a neighborhood of kids at someone's house once a day, rotates houses, everyone's sharing. It, I think it would increase community stuff. I think it would be like beneficial a cult. for kids. It, it sounds pretty culty, but sure. Um, it's, it's, I think a, a better way for people to reintroduce that know your neighbor feel that everyone used to know, you know what I mean? I used to yeah. know my neighbors. I don't know my fucking neighbors. Well, what like, you're describing there, that's what I did after what I was describing yeah. previous, the homeschool yeah. co-op environment, 30 kids. Yeah. A, a co-op is a perfect word for it. Yeah. I just didn't want to. I think I think that that is a a beneficial way to do homeschooling. I don't think that locking a kid in a house for eight hours a day and um, letting their parents deal with it is a good good idea. I just don't think it's a viable system. I don't think it works, especially if the parents are not back. Like they don't want their kids to be exposed to ideas about um, evolution or tolerance or diversity, you know, and homeschooling in America and uh, to touch back on, you know, why America doesn't need to be told to be the way it is, is because it's very deep. Our anti-fascism is anti-racism. It's this is exactly what I was saying earlier, is that is you know? that with, with our fascism and our racism, like Euro-fascism tactics just don't work here because it's yeah. so much deeper and it's an isolation, yeah. segregation mindset, not a and, like... And you know, it's, a, I, I don't know how, how the Europeans think. Like, it's like more of like an empire-based thing. Probably still. So like here in America, homeschooling really shot up after desegregation. A lot of kids just, a lot of parents just said, nope. And so a, a lot after the 60s, 70s, a lot of what made America the situation we're in today was a response to the civil rights, the gay rights, the women's rights movement. Like in a sense of like, oh, well, we're not allowed to say that anymore. We're going to say this. We're not allowed to not loan based on race. Yeah, well, we're going to create credit scores. Anyway, um, here's here's what I was reminded of is because we just had this Joe Rogan shared this not too long ago. And everyone was like, dude, that is like some fascist shit. But like you were saying with the reactionary, right? So like I've had people comment on stuff. And they'll be like, it's just the way things are. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no, it's not. Where were the, Hitler was a strong man. Where was the good times he brought? So like right. this idea, this mindset is like, I see more of a back and forth reactionary, but like this cyclical mindset of where they think that they can be in a cycle of where they can restore things again. I don't think that's the point he's getting at. I think he's talking about society. I think he's talking about men in society, not so much men at, the, at leadership positions. I think it's more... Um, he's saying that society, men in society are weak, not so much leaders. This meme in and of itself is like 
deep in the fascist net of like 8chan and 4chan. But Joe Rogan was just really dumb and shared it one time. And that's why it's funny. The PCM meme itself is trash. It's, it's, the foundations of it are just not useful. What is the PCM meme? Uh, the, the political compass meme. PCM. R PCM. That whole subreddit has just turned into that meme right there. Is, is, is that thinking, why, um, is that why the political compass memes page on Instagram has turned kind of fashy and all the comments are really, really yeah. fashy? Yeah. I, actually, I, I literally unfollowed that page because it was getting uh, yeah. unbearable. So, yeah, they're getting it from the subreddit PCM. PCM's getting it from uh, image board culture. Image board culture is getting it from being shitty assholes. And it's, it's like a human centipede. It's, a, it's an internet centipede. Shit going around, you know? Um, but, yeah, my point is, is that so I go on to these boards and so I understand the language. And what that particular meme is getting at is um, the politics of eternity that's described by, you know, like people like Timothy Snyder, I think some others as well, that people think time is, you know, circular, like this eternal now, that if only we get rid of the people that are making it bad, we can be great again. So like, yeah, that's fashy. Just that idea right there is fashy. Mm. No, I, I do. I do say it. I, I say it now. But I, I do I do think that Joe Rogan I think he's just an idiot. He dumb. Yeah, yeah but I, I don't but think that his is, intentions is that he's, was he's, fascist. He's, he's the perfect like dough man. You can see how yeah. the tactics worked on him. Um, he's a, yeah. if you look at his show, it's a very interesting case study into radicalization. I wouldn't say he's radicalized at all. You see even the evolution of people like Jordan Peterson, you know, and like how his transphobia evolved over the years. I think that's a better case study. Yeah, that's a well, way better case. But study. the thing is with Joe Rogan, it's it's like every week, and then you like you you have these sagas of where he like gets more and more like down the rabbit hole. Like it goes like with the vaccines and stuff, and now it's like all libs of TikTok. He loves them. Mm, that that is true. I I and have so seen it's, him sharing. A it's lot of very stuff. it's a very good case study on how basic memes and just mimetic warfare for mm. radicalization works because. He's on Facebook. We know that's where he got the kids in litter box thing from, is from Facebook. While we're on this subject, just a little tangent before we move on. The circle game thing that they were doing, right? And, like, the, the milk, that sort of stuff. The, the things that they were doing to fuck with people and the media panic. Do you think, because we, we actually disagree, me and John, on this. Do, do you think that seeding ground to them is a good idea? Because, realistically... What they were doing was the sign language for OK. So basically what the media panic, and this is my interpretation of it, what the media panic has done is ceded the sign language for OK to Nazis. Well, um, I actually made my own little Twitter thread on this back when it was going on. And so I already have my thoughts in order on it. And I, uh, what I did is, uh, you know, posited the question, is this uh, the circle game? Is this the... Um, major look is this uh, okay is what does it mean so I just posted a bunch of pictures and gave my opinion on what it was because it was going to be different in each one you know and um, one of them was of uh, one of the shooters uh, who held it downwards while his hands were cuffed you know what this is this is in group signaling yeah, this so, is something that I always say is that it's not the ideology it's the intent yes so when you have all these pictures of the president's 
doing this with their hands, right? As they speak, playing it's like they do. That's just gesticulation. When somebody just reaches out, but goes, we also oh, we also don't. Nobody's doing okay. this, you know. Like there's it's, gestures that have already been banned, and in a lot yeah. of places, this one ain't great either. Yeah, don't want to go to do that in Italy, you know. Um, it's it's kind it's a fascist thing in a lot of places because for some reason they're like furries they love wolves yes but so my point is is that it depends on the situation but this gets into the whole point of fascism is it's a matter of destruction of truth funny we're talking about the circle game and jordan peterson when i get to number four tactical fascism unreality the destruction of truth itself not about whether it's the circle game or if it means okay or if it means you know what this is wink to the camera or if it's in group signaling it it's it does not matter to them you will never convince a fascist troll that you know a president holding up the okay sign back in 2005 at a ball game isn't giving a white power signal it's not about that it's about the destruction of truth to talk about Jordan Peterson about for a second, about the destruction of truth, is that here you have this person who's talking about made a truth, a truth above truth, right? Who, who made his uh, career out of maps of meaning, of union analysis, not objective truth. Things mean this. And it's kind of like, does it really, you know? It's, it's just Pinocchio. Um, but Jordan B. Peterson isn't alone in this. You know, uh, you got, um, I was just watching somebody responding to that last Ben Shapiro responding to Andrew Tate. Yeah, a response to a response video. But he's talking about how, you know, Ben Shapiro's talking about how Andrew Tate is accurately or semi-accurately viewing the world, but then giving an inaccurate response to it. So he's sort of true. He has a kind of truth. These people don't actually care about the truth. They'll just say whatever it is that'll own the libs, or they'll say whatever it is that helps themselves, or say whatever it is that supports the myth above all else, because truth doesn't matter. They've destroyed it. Well, um, that's, that sort of goes back to my, to my original point. Would just ignoring them and not giving them any credence, not even mentioning them, would that not work better? Well, the other part of better? it, I think, is if we just saw the saga of is bored apes fascist you know remember that saga and like all the cryptic like things slid into there where it's like uh i think it is you know a hundred percent is it yeah, and 100% the thing is, is that it's is. all those codes it was all that coded messaging mm. that they left inside there and that's the thing is is that there's almost and QAnon is very effective with this if this is a this is a cult type mindset where QAnon, they have like a code where you only you can only read what they see if you're like in QAnon and like believe in a warped reality like that. So there's a thing where it's like almost like they have intellectual decryption. So let them be crazies. Why give them credence? Why have this? And that's moral my thing. It's in America, I think it's less of a big deal than it is in other places. But at the same time, it's a, the thing is that the the stuff that we do have to worry about is like you know like police violence and things like that. I don't think there's a lot of um, a lot of components of like anti-racial movements and stuff. Like nobody's broadcasting that on Fox News. It's not a mainstream idea. It's more of like, you know, it's coded on Fox News. 
And if people are really, really, really fascist, they can read into the codes that are being dropped off on Fox News. But anyone else watching it, like my mom watching it, it doesn't understand what he's what exactly he's like getting at with great replacement and then making it about immigrants instead of what great replacement theory actually is. You know, Tucker Carlson like steers the cart at the last second. So he's more than willing to use things that come out of the the mimetic uh, battle space, I, I guess we would say, because <laughs> um, that's what they call it is the battle space. But I guess we, so it's a cultural battle space. Um, but what comes out of that, he's more than happy to weaponize the mimetic ideas that come out of that. And then right at the last second, turn the wheel right to the It's, like, it's actually American very agenda. impressive. It's actually very impressive. Mm -hmm. he, he well, he has very... writers as well. Sure. But it, it's very uh, tactful, I'll say. And I think this is a big thing that we see like the left wing doing is they do the whole like powerful and weak thing is, is that we mock these people for being unintelligent, like ape people and just like being really like dumb and racist. And it's like, first of all, everyone's fucking dumb. So it's, I don't, I don't think these people are any dumber than anyone else. I don't think they're smarter or dumber. They're just people. The, the wild thing is that people that work at Fox News, the same people that work at CNN, same people that work at msnbc it's all the same people isn't that funny it's just the corporate press they're a fucking parasite they're an actual fucking parasite um and i think that's, they, that's they the are the corporate press is so far removed of what we're actually talking about because like they, you know the so buffalo shooter didn't watch so fox news no no but they you know, they produced the moral not radicalizing people is what i'm saying i didn't say that no but well that's what was my point though that's what i wanted to make clear is that it's, it's like the media is bullshit and all, but I don't think the media is really contributing that much to not to the radicalization, as much as it but is that Facebook is, you know, like, and but what, what I'm saying is that people who watch corporate press, like they only get their information from corporate press. It's the, the people you're talking about, the, um, your mum watching Fox News. Does she only watch Fox News? It's not Fox News with her, though. She has this hyper-conservative friend, and, like, her kids told her uh, that litter boxes were in West Genesee High School. So, like, I heard the litter box thing months ahead of, so like, furries. And so she asked me about really weird things, like, what's going on with litter boxes in schools? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but did, did the left not do that as well? Is that not a similar trait that the left has? I have an example, actually. Um, and it's not a particularly pleasant one, and it's the sort that needs to be explained in full. So there is the Black Lives Matter movement, the hashtag, and the protests, the, pop, the popular, you know, uh, all across America, all kinds of people just deciding, all these videos we see is enough, right? Same thing with Antifa, That's too. Like, everyone about. is anti-fascist, but few people are, like, dressing up in yeah. black block and hitting people with bricks. Right. So I, I mentioned them to say, that's not what I'm talking about. The official Black Lives Matter, the people who said, well, we're the ones that started the hashtag, we're the ones that registered the name and are soliciting donations and are telling people what to do. The official Black Lives Matter, the leader of that put out um, a post on social media that was just, I want to say, like, cringy. If you're familiar with Hotep, you would know what they're talking about. Um, they were talking about how um, dark skin can absorb light. What this person did was the enemy is both weak and strong. They were describing white people as mutants, as subhumans, right? 
So my point is, is that this person was using a fascist technique, the enemy is both weak and strong, during a Black Lives Matter, like organized, like posting it as a leader of the Black Lives Matter organization, which I would say That's is one of the reasons why you don't want to vote like ideology. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's I don't even want to say it because it's horseshoe theory is based on the stupid PCM and it's bullshit. But it sounds like it, but horseshoe theory is not bullshit. I always joke that horseshoe theory is correct. It's my meme now because like it's been so common because we see all these like we see you know all these people who are now especially with the with the house vote like Aaron Mate is over there on Jimmy Dore like googly eyes about Matt Gates and it's like bro and you're supposed to be like the super super leftist fucking sadist like uh, a lot of tactics or characteristics of fascism weren't exclusive to fascism. That's that kind of one of the main themes here is that other people are going to do some of these things too. It's when a lot or all of these things are done, go watch out. Uh, number five, there's really not an immediate segue to with hierarchy. And that hierarchy is based on a big lie that one group is dominant over the other. And this is usually said in context of the myth of white supremacy, but of course, as the example I just gave is that there is also sometimes a myth of black supremacy. It's still wrong. Any sort of racial supremacy is going to be wrong, but it creates a hierarchy, you know? And so um, then number six is victimhood. And these two together are the enemy is both weak and strong. How are we better than them, but they control us? So, China is um, a great example of both of those yeah. right now. Yeah, the enemy is both weak and strong. Those two together kind of describe that same uh, one characteristic uh, from the other list. And so, and then I think the next one also is similar to the characteristics and sort of similar to the past two tactics comes from them. Law and order, but not in the way usually that liberals and conservatives like law and order, which is just things in their place and nice and neat and safe, right? No, it's the in-group has the law protect them but not bind them the out group has the law bind them but not protect them and so when the in group breaks the law it's not hypocritical for them that's who the law is there to protect and when the out group breaks the law you know then what are you doing you're doing things differently than it's supposed to go so like the hypocrisy of people who say law and order and then break the law people are misunderstanding it's not about hypocrisy it's just about no, you know you're our you're 100 percent you're 100 percent correct and it's um it's a uh, it it almost leads into the class thing as well um mm-hmm. just with with the whole fining system here as well um and i'm sure america's fines are just as just as um insane and I'm sure that there's dumb stuff that people get fines for and it's like well okay i don't have I, money to pay here that fine, bail is I, the biggest problem well, sure. Ba- bail's another thing in America, yeah. But it's it's like um, fines are uh, you're able to break the law for a price. And if you can pay that price, there's no problem. So I can give actually now that I think about three examples of really big things in America that are exactly what you talked about really quickly. So the one is the cash bail system. If you're rich enough to afford bail, you can get out, you can go get your lawyer, you can come in looking nice in a suit and you get off. But if you can't, you're in prison for a week, you lose your job. You don't have a lawyer. You get a court appointed who is exhausted. Uh, so there's cash bail, rich and poor. 
that that's part of the system. The second is there are so many fines and fees and things that you could become brought up on charges for, and if you don't pay them, then that's another fine. So it creates entry points to the justice system. It creates more prisoners. And uh, the third is civil asset forfeiture. They can literally just on a preponderance of, in, of evidence, 50 plus one, say, your stuff is involved in a crime. I think so. More likely than not. Can't prove it. I just think it's more likely than not. And they take it all. And you can't get it back. You got to go to yeah, civil court. If you court. travel with a large amount of cash, they are they will they will fucking just take it. Like especially like if you say like you're moving and they know that you're moving, they'll see that you have like 10k in your wallet, and they'll be like, "I think you're going to buy drugs over the Mexican border. I'm taking this. We'll just take 10k from you. No restitution whatsoever." Yeah. And you can't get it back. It's it's you doesn't would that, have to doesn't that breach the was it Fourth Amendment? Yes. Unreasonable uh, search and seizure. There's actually a great John Oliver episode on this that Jack can't watch because he's in Australia. You're missing out, man. That guy's got some bangers. No, I can watch. I can watch his Apple his Apple show. No, John John Oliver, not John Stewart. Ah, wrong guy. John Oliver's the annoying. They're all called John. Ah, I don't like him. No, I'm fine. Okay, let me move on to number eight. This was actually kind of touched on in the sense of economics in the last one. But actually, this one would have matched the Taliban, but definitely matches America, which is one of the tactics of sexual anxiety. Now, I don't want to just say sexual as in the act of sex, but as in the subject of sexuality and especially of reproduction. So in America, we've got this phenomenon. Peterson. This is this is huge Gamergate stuff. Like this is like, yeah. that's what really I would say this one is bigger than some of the rest because of. Uh, it came out of this whole like uh, uh, Me Too reaction. Yeah. And like um, we look at the allegations with Andrew Callahan right now. And then you compare those to who the right cares about, and it's Andrew Tate. And like the combination of those allegations uh, be beside each other. Like you, you look, show anyone on the right Andrew Callahan's case, they would not give a shit. Uh, absolutely. And uh, this is, this is uh, coming from a place of. Uh mostly male anxiety although i would say also that there's quite a lot of women in america who are more than ready to be part of the problem because of um what is it intra-female connection uh, uh competition you know like uh and, and so it's going to be a complex issue but like that's exactly why i was going to talk about what the purpose of using sexual anxiety as a weapon is as a tactic is it's not just to recruit say for example the incels and people like pickup artists who I consider to be basically rapists in training. They're, they don't have game. That's assault, you know? Um, but then also the control of LGBT people. Also kind of another thing that's common to fascism, which is accuse the accuser. So on, on the same subject of sexual anxiety, though, I don't mean to just say sex as in like the incels, the pickup artists, or men who can't get it or are forcing to get it. The LGBT is not inherently sexual. Uh, of a subject that uh, sometimes it's just identity but like it, it's kind of but like it's not just that it's a matter of abortion abortion is a matter of sexual anxiety reproduction guaranteeing that you have reproduced banning abortion means you get to guarantee reproduction so just uh, the subject of sexual anxiety in general is a matter of reproduction is what i was getting at and so uh, the reason abortion rights are going away in America is because people want to guarantee reproduction. The reason LGBT people are being banned from 
the public square, you know, in states. The trans laws especially have skyrocketed, you know, is, is in order to control sexual behavior to guarantee reproduction. The reason incels and pickup artists are being pandered to is because what they do ends up in reproduction, the reproduction of the in-group. But then, of course, we have yet to have the limiting of the reproduction of the out-group made explicit in America. So it's not that dark yet. I've never thought about it in that context. Yeah, so it's part of this larger kind of, um, it's getting at race, right? In America, it's white supremacy, um, where all of these are connected with the idea of reproduction. And in Russia, it's also about that. Um, to to kind of go through how Russia's invasion of Ukraine is a race war, um, it's the direct killing of Ukrainians, for one. Two, it's the denial of their country, their culture, their language. For three, it is the uh, reduction of non-Russian uh, ethnic minorities in the Russian Federation as cannon fodder. And then also and we basically have a whole Ukrainian episode children. on that alone of just yeah. how mm -hmm. it's people that are just being used as cannon fodder who are not white. And there's there's a fourth, which is that Ukraine is a breadbasket and it supplies many people in Africa and Asia with its exports. And so threatening that food supply. And just think about it, blocking its exports. Russia was at the negotiating table to open grain shipments with Turkey. Well, that's a big deal. Think uh, think about how much of a big deal is the power that Russia has in that situation alone. So the, the whole thing of like Russia losing the war, the thing is, is that I don't think Russia intends to win a war. To, like when has domination worked? Like when's the last time there was a war of domination that, that ended with like actual like countries being seceded into other countries? You know, it was like Austria-Hungary, you know? I think that's yeah. a dead thing. It doesn't happen anymore. Their goal is not to like make Ukraine subservient to Russia. Their goal it's is to punish people for it's revolting. Disruption. It's disruption. You know? And it's another exactly that's, what it is. Yeah. So but the thing is is that it's it's part of the thing is the breadbasket that's a big deal, is they want to control the grain exports out of there. And also um, the the whole Eastern province, like one of the things we've been, it was very common at the start for people to talk about the energy control in the East. And it's kind of fallen off about how important the East is for, for energy control. I don't know why it's fallen off. Well, it's an incredibly important part of Ukraine. It's, it's, it's very highly productive, not perhaps as productive historically as the Ruhr Valley in, in Germany, but it's like the Donbass is an industrial heartland of that part of the world. And so, yeah, they're going to want to take it to take those resources. And this is part of the how it's a race war theory thing is that they're attempting a race war. They take stuff. They kill people and they take stuff. And I want to finish the fourth point, which is the, the reason I bring up Ukraine as a breadbasket is that they're using hunger as a weapon. But the people who die from that are Africans and Asians, not Russians. So that is yet another way that it is a race war, right? So that's kind of when I'm talking about fascism as a way of doing things, at the very least in the American way and in the Russian way and in the Nazi German way, not that they're all the same on scale or in type, but each of these forms of fascism being attempted is a race war, is an attempt to reduce the outgroups numbers and increase the in-groups numbers, partly through direct killing, partly through denial of resources or taking of resources, 
partly through control of reproduction, partly through sustaining a, a hierarchy, you know, partly through continually propagandizing the in-group. Um, you know, all, all these things are getting at, in at least those three circumstances, a form of race war. And that's why we're talking about 4chan. That's why we're talking about Facebook, is that these are the battlegrounds of this race war, in a sense. Battle space. Space. <laughs> it's space race. It's uh, you're gonna have what Warhammer is the only thing oh, I know battle, about. Battle space is the official term for information warfare battlefield. They call it. I, battle I saw space. John oh, going no. for the mute button, and I was like, "Fuck, I was gonna do it." <laughs> okay, but yeah, yeah, battle spaces um, are important to think about. Um, in my somewhat more limited, like military science kind of studies, like I'm, I'm not gonna call myself an expert on that, but I've read some books. Is that like, uh, for example, like General Tommy Franks talking about um, Operation Iraqi Freedom compared to Desert Storm, and he was in both of them um, in the sense that speed was um, an element of its own in uh, Iraqi uh, OIF, the, the invasion in 2003, which they didn't really have in 2000 in, in 1991. So. So Iraq, the second time, let me just go first and second time. That's easier to think of. So in the Gulf War, the first time, it was more conventional. But in the second time, the sheer speed of forces rep represented an element of its own. And so like the way that um, military tactics evolved over about a decade there, they've evolved even more in the two decades since to include the information space. As a battle space in the sense that, uh, I mean, this, this is getting at why I'm part of NATO. I feel like I've been getting ready for this for 20 years. Everything about my life, my interests, my experience is kind of like, you're ready for this. You know, you've got the memes. You've got the military experience. You've got the study of fascism. You've got some uh, military experience that enables me to understand, you know, how militaries work, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely feel primed and ready to be a fellow just due to this unique experience, you know. Would NAFO be the first decentralized uh, mimetic warfare group? On the scale that it is, yes, but Anonymous was really the first. Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. first centralized I... was ISIS. Okay. Interesting. Russia and Iran are huge exporters of information warfare they're the two big ones and then the third one is myanmar but if we actually look um for example the the azov crucifixion video the fake crucifixion right that came back into the uh the mimetic space when the invasion of ukraine happened they, they brought it back but it, where did it come back it came back in burmese it came from burmese posts and that's what oh, we shit. see is we see these russian tactics moving and doing Burmese page and then sharing it from there. And what's interesting is most of it is stuff that we've already seen before, but because so much people have been exposed to it that weren't exposed to, because like we saw this for years, you know, it's been these, they've made these videos for decades or not decades, a decade. So it was an old video that was seven years old, but it got new heat and it got new heat because it came out of a Burmese page and there's no moderation in Burma for Facebook still, even after they caused a genocide still. there. Yes, still. So that's why Burma is number three. It's not actually them. It's Russia and Iran using them. And then the number one targets is 
America and Ukraine. Just taking down a note about the Myanmar. I didn't know about that, so I'm writing it down. Oh yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you the stat. It's a, like I have a few okay. research thing somewhere. So the, the next two, you know, I'm trying to think of them also in terms of the battle space of the internet, of information specifically, not just the internet. It's another way to do information. But like the number nine is Sodom and Gomorrah in the sense of like the city versus the country. Uh, real Americans live in the country. Real Americans work with their hands. Real Americans are hardworking, honest, blah, 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 blah. We all heard it. But the people who actually wear cowboy hats and trucks, uh, they're spotless, scratchless, empty truck beds, hats that look like they've never really seen a day in the sun. No. Um, but that's re that's why I noted it down. Re real Americans, TM, right? It's the idea of real Americans. This is part of the myth problem of fascism. And so you see all of these um, memes on Facebook. Facebook is like really one of the number one. One of my reasons my my Facebook is so effing private, like literally just my army buddies and some family, no permissions otherwise, because I don't want to see all these other fools. Uh, they're they're full of shit. You know, seriously, it's, it's one of the like. I'd rather hang out on 4chan than Facebook. It's less offensive and less stupid. And that is an indictment on both of those websites. I don't know. Um, but the thing is, is that this, uh, this idea that there, there is such a thing as a real American kind of does get back with the idea that the, the, the big lie of hierarchy, that there's some people that are better than others. So this is kind of a repetition, but, you know, it's just one of the things on the list. I have to read it out. But the number 10 tactic of fascism, according to this list, is Arbeit macht frei. Work will make you free. And that's part of the you know, last point where it's real Americans. Well, real Americans are the ones who work. But that's a big lie because the people who actually have power don't work. And the people who actually work have no power. You know, um, But they think they have power because they're being told by the people in power. Hey, you're in charge and we represent you, but that's yeah. There's like a great quote from Trump where it's like, I mean, I work for them, you know. Like, so I can't find the specific graph because the other one shows who's the target and who's the exporter, but this is a very similar one. As you can see, Myanmar is number three, but it's like this. It's it's these five countries, but one of them are the targets and and one are the like re recipients. So like um, America, it it um. The America, it, the thing is, is uh, with Ukraine, right? Um, being an exporter of misinformation, it counts Russians in Ukraine. So Ukraine is also doing misinformation against itself. The <laughs> forces in it that do do that. Yeah. yeah. So actually, so actually, basically, all, all five of the top countries is just Russia. Yeah. I'm just. Uh, I was just thinking about. Oh, the quick point on uh, the uh, ideas as a form of, you know, warfare or memes generally, the ball cap is a meme, right? It's just uh, the idea of being, I mean, we Americans are like basically the only people who actually wear ball caps on a regular basis, you know? Like that's our American uniform in a sense is ball cap. And so this guy puts on a ball cap and pretends to be a regular guy. And so many Americans are like, yeah, he's a regular guy. It's like, no, you're being propagandized. He loves his hair. He fucking loves his hair. A man who loves his hair doesn't wear a hat, you know? So, I mean, there's there's a little bit of that to that. I just wanted also, to say that. Have you seen his hair after he takes it off? 
<laughs> you know, I did see a picture. Someone edited like his normal skin color from another part of his body over his face and then shaved his head digitally. And the dude actually looked, you know, like a decent dude you'd sit down next to at the bar and be like, well, I wouldn't want to fight this guy. You know, like he wouldn't look bad. You know? That's so funny. His vanity makes him look worse. Yeah. Um, I, I say that he wears makeup and funny shoes uh, and a wig. He's a clown. But, like, that's just it. A lot of comedians said that about him, that he acts like a comedian on the campaign trail. And so that, sure, yeah, he was a comedian in that way. That's part of his success is that he gets up there and he says things and he does things. So when you get into, like... Um, the uh, the dialectic of the crowd and the speaker. I don't think that Trump went up there intending to say lock her up, lock her up over and over again. He didn't sit down and think like like I uh, what's his name MacArthur before performing. Is this what he looks you know, like when you shave him down and color him normal? <laughs> that's what that's what he would look like. Yes, he would look like that. He would actually look like a guy you'd pass on on a cop show. Uh, yeah, but okay. So like, um, you know, Douglas MacArthur really thought about what to say before he left the Philippines and then gave his famous line. And like, um, Neil Armstrong thought about what he was going to say when he set foot on the moon. And then he has a famous line. Donald Trump's famous line wasn't sat and thought about. It yeah, was, he, he just got up there and said 20, you know, and then the crowd responded to a few of them. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll keep that. And I'll get rid of that. And so, like, in a sense, that's his genius. His genius is playing the crowd. Literally performance. He yeah. was doing stand-up. But the thing is, is that it gets into this dynamic where he didn't plan that. He didn't decide that. Well, he's, and the crowd he, people look at him as a businessman, but he's really an entertainer. He knows how to play the crowd. Well, there, so there is no such person. And I'm borrowing words from Tim Snyder here directly. I don't want to be, like, a complete plagiarist, you know. Um he, he said two things, that there is no such person as a Putin super spy. That's a character they made up. He was a mid-level KGB bureaucrat that his fellow KGB people didn't like and thought was mediocre. Okay? Oh, who Putin and, not being a super spy? No, he's a desk yeah. worker. Right. So, And then there is no such person as successful businessman Donald Trump. That's a character he played on TV. Like these are two people. He's, that he's more of a scam people. artist. Trump stakes, you know. Oh, he's definitely. He's. You want to? You want to know my favorite line by him? Right though, is this one right here. This one, I think, this one really spoke to me. We have to keep our country gate. We have to keep our country gate. One of the things I've think about him. We've got we have to keep, keep our country gay. Burp, burp. <laughs> if if he had a stroke, how would we know? You know, like look. I, I I liked it when George Bush said funny things, you know, like put food on your family. He also we did know. funny things, you know, yeah. like yeah. watch this drive, you know, like it's right? yes, iconic moments where he's doing funny things. There's this one where like he's like shoot. going to meet workers <laughs> and he gets and he starts driving the forklift around and like, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But like, uh, my when favorite George... is the shoe, dodging the shoes. That's my favorite one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That was an iconic <laughs> moment. Um, they, uh, that, that guy's on Twitter. 
Now there's a there's a little bit of a, you know a downside to to, to his history. Oh like yeah, I the, know uh, the guy who threw the shoes. He's a great journalist. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like there's 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 some there's some like personal background where like I would say like don't meet your heroes necessarily, but he was a hero for that in particular, you know. But the thing is, is so when I mean to compare, say George Bush and Trump, and I would even say Joe Biden right now. Never mind the the politics all for a second, even though everything we're talking about here is politics. Just the funniness is that like um, we have to create the humor around Joe Biden. He is so boring, right? He occasionally does some awesome stuff, and then we turn it into Dark Brandon. Because finally, finally, yeah, that's you the know, best thing something. to come out of Joe Biden was unironic reactions. It was it was the Brandon saga, yeah. like the like that. Everyone loved that on the right. You know, they had such great meme time oh, together, and then Dark Brandon came it out of it, good. and that was like good. yeah. So so like both sides got to got to have a little treat. Oh, absolutely, and, and it's not remember- chaotic anymore. You know, you, you know what's funny though? The, the let's go Brandon funny, thing never would have chaotic. happened. It never would have happened if she hadn't tried to cover. But that's the thing. This is that's with Donald Trump. All his things are not thought of lines. You know, maybe make America great again. That might be kind of. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that was spur of the moment. But he, he stole that. That, that was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Same thing with I America. Mean, someone wrote it for him. Let's be real. Well, I mean, it's already existed in the American conscious. Uh, Let's make America great again was Reagan's campaign slogan in 1980, and America first was the American Nazi Party slogan in the 1930s. <laughs> he plagiarized it. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's intentional though. It might be like just monkey I typewriter. Mean, um, part of it, what I was kind of alluding to with like Trump getting up saying things, the crowd saying things, and neither of them planned to beforehand. And as you were saying, it was a journalist covering something up that then created this whole thing. She didn't plan that. She didn't intend that. A lot of this is stuff that kind of just happens when you get into the mode of fascism, the way of doing things of fascism. When you destroy truth, it doesn't matter that let's go Brandon is a harmless phrase because everyone knows when you say let's go Brandon what you're really saying. Um, And it's a form of just in-group signaling. Um, and it's, uh, it's that fascism is a way of doing things, is what I want to get at. It's not just a far-right, authoritarian, nationalistic ideology position to sit out on the spectrum. It's, and if, if left-right really means anything, it's where you sit in the parliament in Europe. We don't do that anymore. I mean, we don't do that really in America. So I don't think we should think about it as left or right. We should think about it as Sorry? Left and right was invented by a terrorist. Oh, um, who specifically? Robespierre. Oh, Robespierre. Okay. I'm going to have to brush up on that. I was, I'm, uh, I'm it came, it comes out of the French Revolution. Oh, okay. So, so, so that's, mm-hmm. that's where left and right comes from. And that's one of the things that somehow has stuck with us. We, yeah, and so because the French Revolution is so irrelevant, it, it really just was like a big nothing burger. It was a death to monarchy and allowed for a military coup to come. Yeah, so that's actually I think that's a perfect way for me to wrap up my thoughts about fascism is that it actually kind of grows out of uh, my study of the American Revolution and what that was about, and so and then swearing an oath to the Constitution, like better learn what that's about. Um, 
it's sort of that uh, the American Revolution still matters because the American Revolution still continues so long as we still have elections and so long as we still believe in democracy. And so in that sense, America is one of the oldest nations in the world, you know, because uh, like you're saying, the French Revolution fizzled out. Well, the French nation as we know it is from what, 1945, when France was reunited, you know? How old is the Russian Federation? It's, it's from 1991. Like, well, these I are mean, all very young nations. I mean, the same could be said about places like Australia and things like that. And I yeah. think, um, I think one of the big issues, and this is a deeper conversation, is that it comes down to how policies were into, implemented. And the thing is, is that the British still were working with the Native Americans, and the, the whole thing with the Native American genocide. A lot of people pin it all in the Americans, but what people don't understand is that the British were making treaties with them the whole time. The British were paying them to raid colonialist camps and things like that. So this, this, um, you know, we don't know how it would have turned out differently. Um, a lot of people look at Cortez and they think that like he's a monster or something, but actually the Aztecs sucked. Right. And this isn't like, a, you know, type of look at where it's like we say that the Native Americans were cannibals like Kant Hendis Owens does. The Aztecs sucked and every other neighbor that they had sided with Cortez and killed them yeah. all. So and, and then, they killed because they they genocided people. And then all the conquistadors died fighting the Incas because they got uh, uh, hypoxia, hypo hypoxo whatever. I think it's hypoxia because they're so high up they couldn't breathe. So they all died fighting the Incas. But the thing is, is that if we look at um, if we look at uh, Mexico, um, there's natives there that are distinctly, like the Zapatistas are all Mayan, um, for example. And But the Mayan is like, it's complicated. But then there's also the Mexicans as well. And the Mexicans are like, children of like the colonialist you know but the thing is is like you don't have the whiteness that america has because there wasn't a purging like you we think of the spanish being horrific because they wiped out these entire races like isn't that weird how we kind of are taught that but they kind of ignore what we did right well again uh, to touch on to go kind of through that real quick is that uh, about the uh the british funding to um, the Indian nations that was in the uh, in the uh, Declaration of Independence. That's one of the things that they listed as grievances, you know. And um, I would stress that they were nations, that they were entire cultures different from each other. One of the uh, kind of myths uh, per, uh, in America, one of our myths, is that it was just a bunch of wilderness and maybe some people in TPs moving through occasionally. No, they were entire nations. Our entire government so, was lifted from the Iroquois Confederacy. Yeah. The, the the words federal and confederal are directly related to yes in the Iroquois I think they, they they knew how to do some stuff you know they were great and so yeah the the um the Aztec civilization is about 300 years younger than Oxford University so for context the reason that a lot of their neighbors hated them was because they were relatively young upstarts on the imperial quest so imperialism is not something restricted to any one group, you know, just because one group did it with gunpowder, um, you know, it doesn't make it any more or less imperialistic. Imperialism has been one of the problems. Now, it's quite, I think it's different than fascism. 
uh, but fascism can be imperialistic, and when they are both together at the same time, I think both times are dead. Right. right. So I mean, uh, fascism as a way of doing things um, isn't the same as totalitarianism. You know, so both communism and fascism, state communism and fascism, could be considered totalitarian, but that doesn't make them the same thing. And I would say imperialism is one of the ways in which tyranny uh, takes over and goes on to this basically Ponzi scheme of um, empire building. Um, that's when you combine fascism with imperialism, you get Nazi Germany colonizing Eastern Europe. And like I know? said, is there's that desire to build a great empire and empires and domination don't, don't exist anymore. Yeah, and then Russia, I mean, to your point, Jack, that you think that they're just causing havoc, destruction. Um, I do not disagree with that, although I think that the ideology behind it does have the intent of building an empire, and they think they can pull it off. I think they're fools. I think they won't. But I do know that there is some intent there. Um, but I do also think that some people are doing what you described, which is just do as much damage as possible and as much chaos as possible possible um but there is an attempt at nation building uh, not nation but at empire building combined with fascism right there and that is like straight out of the hitler playbook you know and he's going point by point in scarily similar ways you know but particularly similar to the way he took over say the sudetenland and then czechoslovakia same excuses same rigged elections same political violence same oh we'll take a little bit then we'll take it all uh, same, oh, there are speakers, therefore there are people, same, you know, and also same intent to take them over, take their stuff, and get rid of them. I mean, Putin did it in Georgia as well. Yeah, yeah it's always um, insurrection and then swoop in and say, we're saving Russians. Mm -hmm. They are Russians and, so, and they want this area to be Russia. We're coming in. Peacekeepers. Basically, same thing as look, all the things that over 20 years that I've been reading and like I read about Hitler very early on in high school. Um, as soon as I was allowed to read the grown up books, I was reading about fascism. I was reading about the Holocaust, I was reading about the Nazis. And basically, it's like as soon as uh, Putin invaded Crimea and sent his little green men into the Donbass, I was like, there you go. There's Hitler of our day. That's him. I can be. Um, you mentioned um, anti-interventionism earlier as a good default position. Um, the, the phrase I've been using is non-intervention non as the default. Um, like maybe we don't need to be the American world police. Um, so on all of these various wars throughout American history and even other countries doing their wars too, like the British and the Falklands. Yeah, we're not alone in this, but all of these wars are always maybe, maybe not. Well, this war in Ukraine is not, maybe, maybe not. It's yes. It is the one time finally in many of our lifetimes where we can say, that guy's evil. We have to fight until he's gone or, or support those who do. I mean, because this is the Hitler of our time. This well, is let's, go with, let's go with support those until he's gone because uh, I am not yeah. dying for some other country. That's, I mean, there's many ways to support the war, after, of course. And I got to tell you, as, as having been in a combat zone, um, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> you know, not not as not as yeah. a thirty something. 
you know. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not, I'm not being told by my state that I'm going to die in a foreign country. That's not no, happening. No. I, I do I do think that we are in a good place where for Ukrainians it is a matter of life and death. Um, and that's not that that's a good place, but for the rest of us, it's we're in the good place. We're in the place where it's voluntary, where we can choose how to serve or if we serve. We're the privileged ones in this position where we can decide, do I use my words? Do I use my art? Do I use my memes? You know? And so we're in a good place now where we can sort of, in a sense, really, truly feel justified in full defense of this in whatever way we can or choose to. Um, so that's why uh, when some people in the military are now studying NAFO and deciding, like, we've been trying to get you to do this for 20 years. Why are you doing it now? My simple that's such horseshit yeah. because I have been trying to get the military to do it for a decade. You yeah. know, like I've been trying yeah. to get the military on with mimetic warfare since ISIS started doing it. They don't. They're they're very difficult to change. They are top down. They they want to tell you how to do your job. You know, they don't want to listen. And this has always you. been a problem. And to yeah. close, just look at World War One. Yeah. And and but that's. They know better than you. Didn't you know that? They've got more rank. They get paid half a million dollars a year. They clearly know more than you. The people I mean, on the General ground. Flynn got up there somehow, so... Yeah. <laughs> well, he failed upwards. There's, okay. there's a thing in the military where you promote someone to get rid of them. Yes, I know. That's, that's definitely what happened. And also, yeah. it's extremely hard to get fired from a federal job, and technically it's a federal job.